Welcome to News of the Times. This podcast is aimed for those with a passion for history and the human story. Through actual news articles of our past, I review the social media stories of their day, touching upon the lives, trends and world of the everyday person. I am Robin Coles and this is News of the Times. The Time, 1819-1821 The Headlines The Panic of 1819, the first major peacetime financial crisis in the United States, begins. Sir Stamford Raffles lands on the island of Singapore. A cabinet meeting is convened by the British Prime Minister, Lord Liverpool, to discuss an investigative report of an adulterous affair involving the wife of George, Prince of Wales, and regent for his ailing father. The African Slave Trade Patrol is founded to stop the slave trade on the coast of West Africa. George IV of the United Kingdom ascends the throne on the death at Windsor Castle of his father, George III, thus ending the period known as the British Regency. The statue of the Venus de Milo is discovered on the Greek island of Milos. The last hanging, drawing and quartering in Britain is meted out to the Cato Street conspirators for treason, who are only hanged and beheaded without quartering. Caroline of Brunswick, the estranged wife of King George IV of the United Kingdom, returns to England after six years abroad in Italy. Since ascending the throne in January, the king has sought to receive his government's approval for a divorce. After the sinking of the American whale ship Essex of Nantucket by a sperm whale in the southern Pacific Ocean, the survivors are left afloat in three small whaleboats. They eventually resort, by common consent, to cannibalism to allow some to survive. Emperor Napoleon dies in exile on St. Helena. Our headline story An excerpt from the Bell's Weekly Messenger, May 1820. The Cato Street Conspiracy. Mr. Alderman Wood rose to introduce to the attention of the House a subject of very considerable importance. The facts were that in his situation as a magistrate, an application had been made to him to receive information of high treason against a certain individual. No less than seven persons tendered their depositions, four of whom were persons of unimpeachable character. He, in conjunction with the most respected magistrate, Sir William Domville, felt it a duty to take the examination in private. These depositions went to various facts, tending to show a conspiracy of a most treasonable and nefarious character. 
they went to prove the contemplated destruction of the brightest and most illustrious personage in the kingdom. But of these parts of the transaction, he felt it unnecessary there, in the present stage of the inquiry, to say more. These individuals in their deposition stated that they saw a man of the name of Edwards go from public house to public house, inviting persons to unite with him in various plots to overturn the government. One of the most important of these plots was founded on an assurance which he gave that he could easily take seven or eight persons into the House of Commons and that it was necessary they should go in clean, which meant that they might go in with anything under their arms, and he proposed that they should go in with books or cases which might be filled with gun barrels cut down to the length of three or four inches each, and charged with gunpowder or phosphorus, etc., to be thrown into the body of the house for the destruction of the assembled members. In the course of several conversations which took place with respect to the plan and to the means of executing it, Edwards declared that Thistlewood was the boy to do it. It was very clear that two days after Thistlewood's liberation from Horsham Jail, Edwards was introduced to that person at Preston's The Cobbler. It was also clear that Edwards did get the cases made to which he had alluded, and that he prepared the books, gun barrels, etc., and that he seemed to be supplied with money for that purpose. For although he had but very recently been compelled to lie on straw and was unable to procure a pot of beer, he had all at once means sufficient to purchase these and other instruments and weapons of destruction. These were the parts of the deposition which mainly affected the house. To the other parts, which were of a very dreadful nature indeed, he would not avert, unless required to do so by the appointment of a committee of secrecy, or in any way in which the house might think fit to call for the disclosure. All the plots described in the depositions were originally laid down by Edwards, and the house could bear in mind that none of the persons by whom the depositions had been made were witnesses on the later trials, either for the Crown or for the prisoners. He had that morning received several other communications of a similar nature, bearing testimony to the character of Edwards and describing the various plots which he had suggested. In the course of his observations on this object, Mr. Broughton said he did not blame government for employing Edwards as a spy or for endeavouring to protect him. That ministers were entitled to avail themselves of such men as Edwards to frustrate the designs of men like Thistlewood and Ings, that the office of executioner was odious, and that the office of informer was odious. But both were necessary, and no man could consistently say there ought to be an executioner without allowing at the same time of the employment of an informer. The misfortune was that persons so employed were often unwilling to confine themselves to the specific object 
for which they were employed, and endeavoured to create crime where they found none. A heavy responsibility, therefore, attached to the government which employed spies or informers. Individuals ought to be selected who were not likely to abuse the confidence reposed in them, but if, instead of confining themselves within proper bounds, they went about instigating men to perpetrate crimes, they became criminals themselves and ceased to be any longer entitled to protection. Advertisement from Saunders' newsletter May 1821 Land Steward Wants a Situation As land steward, a young man was bred to farming in East Lothian. He understands dairy, husbandry of Ayrshire, and the management of livestock in all of which he has considerable experience. The applicant received a liberal education and would act as agent of the estate. The most respectable references will be given with regard to character and abilities. Letters postpaid addressed to JWF at the office of Saunders Newsletter will be punctually attended to. From the Imperial Weekly Gazette, February 1819. Accident. On the 30th, a boy being at play near the fire stamps on Hewas Mine in Cornwall, his apron was caught by the machinery and he was drawn in and killed before the engine could be stopped. A woman whose son had lately lost an arm by the same machine was so affected on hearing of the fatal accident that she was seized with convulsions and soon expired, and the father survived him only a few days. Advertisement from the Oxford Journal, April 1820, wanted an active, good-tempered young person to instruct and take principal charge of two children. She must be a good needlewoman and will be expected to give her assistance in domestic concerns and any light work consistent with her situation. A knowledge of the French language and the rudiments of music would be desirable, but not wholly indispensable. Apply, if by letter post paid, to R.T. Mrs. Baker's Grocer, Marketplace, Banbury. From the Morning Advertiser, August 1819, Juvenile Depravity. It is shocking to see the number of half-naked girls from nine to thirteen years of age walking in groups every night from the new church in the Strand to Catherine Street opposite Somerset House, disgusting and offending passengers. Not less than thirty of these depraved wretches assemble there on Saturday night with thieves and pickpockets, and although driven occasionally from the place by the street-keepers, they return again with the ascension of numbers. These depraved females are sent from the brothels in Swan Yard and the neighbourhood to allure strangers particularly into these receptacles of vice and iniquity, where they are sure to be robbed and maltreated by thieves and ruffians who are constantly in waiting in the same manner as in those murderous dens in Dover Street and Blackfriars Road. If the laws are not competent to check this public infamy, something should be done. If such obscene wretches were occasionally taken up 
and lodged for the night in the watch-house, this great nuisance to the neighbourhood and their passengers would be in some way diminished. Advertisement from Saunders' newsletter, November 1821. Worm powder. The increasing demand in the city of Dublin and in every other part of Ireland, with the numerous testimonials of its efficacy from the most respectable persons, make it unnecessary to comment on the beneficial effects introduced and produced by Bennett's worm powder. It may be proper to remind the public that, at the present season, its use is most earnestly recommended, and by the timely application the many febrile attacks so incidental to children at autumn may be prevented. Should it be found difficult to administer the powder, each dose may at once be formed into pills by the addition of a drop or two of rhubarb wine. From Saunders' newsletter, February 1819, House of Lords. The Earl of Liverpool brought down a message from the Prince Regent to the following purport. The Prince Regent, acting in the name and on behalf of His Majesty, thinks proper to acquaint the House of Lords that the sum of £50,000 has in consequences of the demise of Her Late Majesty the Queen been placed at the disposal of Parliament. At the same time, the Prince Regent recommends to the liberality of the House the situation of those persons who, by their faithful service during a number of years to Her Late Majesty, have entitled themselves to the same consideration that had been bestowed on other persons serving in similar situations on former occasions, and His Royal Highness recommends that a similar provision should be made for them. On the motion of the Earl of Liverpool, His Royal Highness's most gracious message was ordered to be taken into consideration tomorrow. The House then proceeded to appoint scrutineers to inspect the ballot for members of the committee to inquire into the state of the bank. From the Sun, London, August 1819. The vaccination of the Princess, infant daughter of their Royal Highnesses the Duke and Duchess of Kent, has perfectly succeeded. Dr. Wilson and Mr. Pettigrew are in regular attendance at Kensington Palace. Advertisement for the Morning Chronicle, February 1819. Seville Oranges. Just landed. A parcel of the above fruit in high perfection for wine, shrub, marmalade or preserving, with a variety of other foreign fruits which are now on sale at Levy and Salmon's Foreign and English Fruit Warehouses, 371 Oxford Street and 86 Piccadilly, opposite the Green Park. Whole, half and quarter crates of oranges and lemons of the choicest fruit packed for town or any part of the United Kingdom. An excerpt from Bell's Weekly Messenger, May 1820. The House, having resolved itself into the committee, the Chancellor of the Exchequer then moved, that it is the opinion of this committee that, for the support of His Majesty's household and of the honour and dignity of his crown, there be granted to His Majesty for Great Britain a revenue of eight hundred and fifty thousand pounds per annum to commence from the demise of his late majesty and for the same purpose for ireland 
a revenue of £270,000 per annum to commence from the same time. Sir Hugh Parnell was of the opinion that the sum now proposed was too large to permit the House to come to a vote on it at once, as a mere matter of course. He conceived that before they were called on to grant such a sum, papers should be laid before the House for their information. From the Oxford Journal, April 1820, Notice to Creditors. The creditors of Henry Bake of Enslow Wharf near Woodstock in Oxford are requested to meet at the Bear Inn in Woodstock on Monday the 17th at the hour of 11 o'clock in the forenoon when a statement of his affairs will be laid before them and their opinion taken as to the best means for the security and division of his property towards payment of his debts. From the Morning Chronicle, February 1819. Pursuant to the decree of the High Court of Chancery made in a cause poor versus poor, the creditors of Edward Poor Esquire, late of Rushall in the county of Wiltshire, and formerly of West End near Hatfield in the county of Hearts, are personally or their solicitors to come in and prove their debts before Joseph Jekyll, Esquire, one of the masters of the said court, on or before the eighth day of April next, or, in default thereof, they will be protemptorily excluded the benefit of the said degree. Advertisement for the Morning Advertiser, May 1819, to be let by Mr. Kelly for £100, a country baker's shop delightfully situated in a pleasant and populous village in the vicinity of the metropolis. The premises are replete with convenience and in excellent repair with capital oven, bakehouse, flower loft, large yard, cart shed, stable, etc. Particulars may be had from Mr. Kelly, auctioneer, appraiser and house agent, West Smithfield. P.S. There is no other baker in the village. Saunders Newsletter, January 1819 Caution to shopkeepers. A female of genteel address calling herself Mrs. Macken went into the shop of Merritt and Company, Dame Street, and stole there a leghorn hat, which was taken from under her cloak in her mother's house in St. Andrew's Street. When detectives had brought her back, she was sent to the police office where she pleaded the consequences of herself and her four children and the misery her exposure would bring on her respectable relations, asserting at the same time that it was her first offence and made every promise of future good conduct. Under these circumstances, she was suffered to depart. Information has since been received describing her as a most notorious shoplifter, and as she has had the effrontery to appear again in public, Contrary to her promise, this is inserted to guide the public against her depredations. Advertisement from the Morning Chronicle, February 1819. India Warehouse, India Shawls. Everington begs to inform his friends and the public that he's giving extraordinary prices for every description of Indian shawls. Those ladies and gentlemen who may wish to obtain 
their fullest value will find themselves liberally treated by an early application at 10 Ludgate Street near St. Paul's. Note, ladies wishing to exchange their shawls may be accommodated on the most advantageous terms. From the British Neptune, February 1819. A fatal disturbance took place a few days since at the new inn, Freshford. A number of young men and women were drinking and at about nine o'clock a violent quarrel took place amongst them. The candles were extinguished and the room rendered a sense of disturbance. Mr. Merchant, the landlord, with some difficulty succeeded in clearing the room and shut his screen door against them. They began to beat at the door and threatened to do mischief to the landlord. One young man said he should be murdered if he was not admitted into the house upon which the landlord opened the door. When a young man named J. Kelson swore he would enter the house and was in the act of doing so when the landlord struck him down with a stick. The blow proved a fatal one, and after lingering in great pain for a week, he expired. Mr. Merchant, the landlord, has been committed to physician jail. Excerpt taken from the Insurance Encyclopedia, event taking place in 1819. A fire breaks out in the wine depot at the Bercy section of Paris. It is reported later that in the absence of water to supply the engines, an attempt was made to extinguish the flame with wine, of which a lake of fifty foot square and more than a foot deep was formed. But the fire continued to rage, as well it might, being supplied by alcohol, and great destruction of property resulted. From the Imperial Weekly Gazette, February 1819, Dueling. A duel took place on Tuesday morning on Wimbledon Common between F.A.R. Esquire of the Kent Road and Mr. Farmer belonging to the staff. When the latter was wounded, it was feared dangerously by the ball entering his right side. The dispute originated at the Opera on Saturday. Advertisement from the Morning Post, January 1820. Stays, Robinson and Vistrian. Submit for ladies' inspection numerous patterns in corsets scientifically adapted to the variations of shape which they engage to fit, not only well, but in a style of superior elegance and fashion. Stays and braces for children. Their elastic belts reduce corpulency in a short period, give most beneficial support, are efficacious in umbilical cases and are far superior to stays for abdominal weaknesses or enlargement. Stays to rectify and improve the figure, prevent and cure curvature of the spine, relieve weaknesses in the back and for comfort and support of persons awry by which they make ladies appear perfectly straight without using any pernicious steel, padding, pressure, friction or machinery. Country ladies instructed by letter to transmit measures. 59 Great Russell Street, Bloomsbury. From the New Times, May 1819. The Eccentric Pieman. The person whom, for many years past, has been known 
by the appellation of the Flying Pieman, was charged at Marlborough Street Police Office yesterday under the warrant of bastardy. The mother of two fine babies positively swore them to him, and when on the point of leaving the bar, another fair visitor, burdened with a couple more, also swore them to him. You have been listening to the News of the Times, 1819 through 1821, and I am Robin Coles. Thank you for listening to News of the Times. New episodes incorporating a new span of time from history will be updated weekly. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and subscribe. You can also check out our sister channel, Simply Stories, found on all your favourite podcast apps.